0: Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, as we continue from Genesis and the life of Joseph, we take a look at an important question around the relationship between Joseph and his father, Jacob. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim.
1: Uh, If I have yet to meet you, my name's Tim. I'm glad you're here. Bye, kids. One. One of them said goodbye. (laughs) That wasn't my kid, by the way. Uh, We are in Genesis 45, if you brought a Bible. Genesis 45 this morning. Uh, We are in a uh, now nine-month study through the book of Genesis. And if you've noticed, we've been in the Joseph story for a long time. Um, We're kind of nearing the end of the Joseph saga and the end of Genesis. Um, But uh, that should tell us something alone that Joseph, uh, to the author of Genesis, this story is is a big deal. There's something in the Joseph story that... Uh, The author of Genesis gives more space to tell this particular story. And uh, I'm really excited about this particular uh, section of our Joseph narrative. Uh, A lot hangs on this particular uh, section. Um, Now, before we get there, let me just say this, just to start things. I have learned, personally, that I've found, I should say, that the best way to read the Bible is uh, to not go into the Scriptures or into the Bible looking for answers, Uh, but to begin by trying to ask really good questions. Often the answers, good answers, will follow asking really good questions. Uh, And so yes, we want answers, but often the answers are going to follow the questions. And if we don't begin with the right question, often we end up with, uh, well, either a lack of an answer or the wrong answer. And, uh, and, And I was trying to do that with this particular, with all of the Genesis stuff. I was trying to I'll look at this particular text and ask as many questions as I could think to ask of this section of text. And a question surfaced for me that I have never asked before of the Joseph story. Uh, It's a question that once you ask it, it's hard to not see it again, Um, but I never thought to ask this question before, and I find this the the asking the question has opened up the story in a way that I've never seen before, and uh, it actually makes sense of some things in the story that have been weird so far, Uh, and so this particular question, um, uh, now, I should note that I'm not the first to ask this question. I did my due diligence, and others have asked this question, however, uh, I, I never did, and Uh, I grew up in the church. Joseph is one of the main stories, and I heard it my whole life. And so my hunch is that there's a couple of you, if not maybe most of us, that also never thought to ask this particular question. So I'm going to, for those of you who've asked this question, you're ahead of me. Um, uh, But I want to share the question with you this morning that has opened up the passage Before we get there, uh, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 45. And uh, just as a recap, we left on a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, If you remember uh, last week's message, we looked at the maps and kind of charted all over the land. uh, But we, we read in the story that the brothers have come to Joseph for help. There's a famine. But they don't recognize that it's Joseph. Uh, He's climbed up the ranks in Egypt, and he's now the right-hand man of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And uh, yet they don't recognize him because he looks Egyptian. And so Joseph sets them up. Twice. It's weird behavior. you got to ask, like, why is Joseph doing this? Is he just angry at the brothers? Why does he set them up twice? Uh, he sets them up uh, once, and he kind of re- puts their silver back in their, in their things, and they have to come back, and then he sets them up again. This time, they bring their brother Benjamin with him, and he plants evidence on his brother Benjamin. Again, weird detail in the story. Why do you plant evidence on your brother, the one that you, the, shares the birth mom with you? Why plant evidence? Uh, and Um, The second time, essentially, he says, okay, I I need Benjamin to... It ends with, I want Benjamin, my kid brother, to stay with me in Egypt. You all can go back home, but he's going to stay here because he stole from me. So he's going to stay back with me. Uh, And we talked about, was that to protect him? Was that to test the brothers? Uh, But then Joseph's brother, Judah, launches into a speech. And uh, this particular speech is the longest speech recorded in the book of Genesis. Uh, The author, again, gives a lot of space to this speech. But what happens on the back end of this speech is the turning point in the whole story. Uh, Notice how Joseph will respond to the speech that Judah is is going to lay out. Uh, This is chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now, um, this moment changes everything in, the particular, in this story. Uh, Joseph comes out of hiding. It's the first time he's revealed who he is. But also Joseph's conduct, how he, how he um, treats people, changes in this moment. Joseph will become, uh, you can draw a line between before this moment and how Joseph manipulates and lies and and like arranges things, and this moment, and how Joseph is going to react on the back end of this moment. This is a breaking point moment. And Joseph, uh, something in that speech causes Joseph to break down and weep, uh, so much so that word gets out to all of Egypt that Joseph has, has wept over whatever is unfolding with us. Um, breaking point moments. So, uh, Have you ever had in your life a breaking point moment? Like the f- something happened and you can look back on that thing that happened and your whole life has been different because of it. Uh, maybe for you it's somebody, somebody spoke something to you that you needed to hear. You didn't even maybe know you needed to hear the words. Uh, but somebody saw something in you. Uh, in leadership, we call these I see in you conversations, right? They, you see something in somebody that they don't maybe see in themselves, and they speak it to the surface, and all of a sudden now you, like, if they hadn't called that thing out, you may not be doing what you're doing, or you wouldn't be who you are. Uh, it's like a breaking point moment. Sometimes they are uh, wake up call moments. Uh, You have a fight, and you have another fight, and you have another fight, and that same fight keeps replaying itself until finally you realize, okay, I can't expect different results unless I am willing to change. And so you do the hard work of confronting whatever it is that you're bringing to that fight, and uh, after that moment, you realize, oh wow, there's a new peace in our home that we didn't have before. Um, Or you wake up from the worst hangover, and you have that moment of clarity and confidence that comes on the back end of some bad choices, and all of a sudden you realize, okay, I, I gotta stop. This isn't this isn't working. Um, this isn't how I want to live. I have to make some changes. And it's a moment now you look back on, and it's, it's like, if I didn't have that moment, I don't know that I would be where I am. Um, or it's uh, you said two of the most powerful words in the English language: "I'm sorry." It's like you, you used to talk, and then you stopped talking, and then you said the two magical words, I'm sorry, and now you talk again. And had you not said those words, like it's a big breaking point moment. Or maybe for you, uh, that, that breaking point moment, that moment of change that you, you're, you're longing for, um, maybe it's not something that's happened, but something that you're praying actually would happen. Uh, so maybe there's a relationship where, Um, There was a day where you came home and it was playful, it was light, you laughed a lot as a family, and now the drive home, you pull in the garage and you sit in the car and you've got to brace yourself, and it's just not light at home at all. And you find yourself uh, praying or crying out to God, saying, God, please make things change. I need things to change. Um, Or uh, maybe it's just life has gotten kind of stale. There's not ups and there's not downs. It's just kind of cruise control. And life has felt like it's on autopilot and you're just finding yourself a bit bored and you're thinking, okay, please, God, I need things to change. Um, Or maybe it is an addiction and you've been praying about this addiction. Uh, and you're not on the other side of a addiction in recovery. Um, one of the things I love about being a pastor here is we have a really active recovery ministry. And I've been invited into to some really life-changing spiritual moments with people and have watched people go through recovery and become totally different, uh, get some control back in their life, get some faith back in their life. But maybe you're not on that side of it. Maybe you're on the other side of it. And you're right now, you're, you're doing the math and you're thinking, okay, uh, this is affecting my finances. This is affecting my, my physical health. This is affecting my relationships. If you're married, this is affecting your marriage. Um, and maybe you find yourself thinking, and dear God, this is going to affect my kids. I need to change. Joseph has a moment like this where he, uh, something in the speech that his brother Judah gives is going to open him up to something, and uh, he's going to be a totally different person. So the, not the question. There is a question I want to I wrestle with, but, but a, another question would be, what does Judah say in his speech that, that shakes him so much? Let me read you the speech. Again, this is the longest speech recorded in Genesis. Here's the speech. It's chapter 44, right before this, uh, verse 18. Verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or brother? And we answered, we have an aged father and there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead and he is the only one of his mother's sons left. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, "Bring him down to me, so that I can see him for myself." And we said to my lord, "The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, he will; his father will die." But you told your servants, "I know the servants' lord language." Okay, so the servants is referring to himself uh, or themselves, the brothers, and my lord is a term of um, like my master, my commander. Um, so he's referring to Joseph. Um, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down to you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we can't go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Now, pause here. Um, Remember Zach Morris when he would hit pause and AC slit? Okay, we're going to do that. Uh, (laughs) ADD moment. Uh, The the first portion of all we just read right now is simply a retelling of all the things that have happened. It's all stuff we already know. We've already read this part of the story. Um, Now he's going to continue. And he says, Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons... One of them went away from me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, reference to Benjamin, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with that boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he'll die. Your servant's will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, don't let me see the misery that would come on my father. That's a speech. I know it's long. It's a long speech. Um, But this is a speech, though, that's going to rock Joseph to the point where he weeps and says, I'm Joseph. This is a speech. Now, we read this particular speech, and by and large, as the reader of the story of Genesis, we've already heard all this before. This is like rehash. We already know all of these details. We, uh, we've actually replayed a very similar moment, if you just go back a little bit, when they say we've got to bring Benjamin back. All this stuff, we already, as the reader, know. And yet, this is the speech that's going to break Joseph open. The question we should ask is, why? What does Judas say that's so jarring to to Joseph. And that leads to the question, and this question, I never thought to ask before. I uh, read this story many times, or heard this story many times, and uh, I never thought to ask this question, but asking the question, it changed the whole story for me. Okay, here's the question. You ready? Here's my question. Why does Joseph never go looking for his dad, Jacob? Why does he never go find his dad? Uh, Think about it. I mean, early on, he's a slave. That makes sense. But now he's risen to power. He is the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. He, He has the ability to go find his dad, but he never goes looking for his dad. And not only does he have have the ability, he knows exactly where Jacob lives. Jacob still lives in Hebron, the same city he grew up in. He knows exactly how to find his dad, and yet he never, Jacob hasn't moved, and yet he never goes looking for his dad. He could. He has the means. He knows where he is, but he never does. Throughout this whole story, more than 20 years go by, and never once does Joseph want to find his dad. Now, this is a little bit odd that he doesn't go looking for dad, right? Like, it's a little bit odd. He is dad's favorite son. We've said this multiple times. Dad has shown preference to Joseph. He bought, that's what's behind the whole fancy coat thing, right? Like, it's uh, it, it, he, in giving the coat to his, uh, Jacob, and giving the coat to Joseph, so dad, in giving it to his son, is saying to his son, the way I see you is as the firstborn in the family, uh, that title of firstborn uh, meant that he would have twice as much inheritance as the other brothers, and beyond that, he will inherit the, his father's, uh, all of his household after dad dies. It's a big deal. The, the reason the brothers get jealous at Joseph um, when he's wearing the second coat is because they know what it means. It's not, it's, we often focus on the fanciness of the coat, like they're really jealous that Joseph has uh, better drip than them. <laughs> I just learned what that meant. I also learned I've got a unique power to kill things that are cool amongst the kids. If I just say it from the stage, it's no longer cool. Um, that's not why they're mad. They're mad because they know uh, Joseph is raised in the ranks, uh, they, and he, in the family, and he's now been named as the, and he's not the oldest, not biologically, that would be Reuben. However, he is the oldest of Rachel, who's the favorite wife of dad. And so they get jealous, they they throw him in a pit, they then sell him off to the Midianites, who sell him to the Egyptians, where he ends up in slavery and then climbs his way up the top. But they do it all because they seem to believe that Joseph, and they've got good reason to believe, that Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob. So if that's true, why does Joseph not go looking for dad? His brothers are guilty, but why does he not go looking for dad if he's dad's favorite? Why not go and tell dad? Why not go find dad? It's odd, isn't it? It's odd. Why doesn't he go looking for his dad? Um, more odd than that is it seems, if you read the story, that he doesn't even want to see his dad. He uh, has the opportunity early on as his brothers come to him and they talk about, "Hey, my dad and my our youngest, our dad and our youngest brother are still back in Israel or Canaan at that time. Uh, they're back in Hebr- Hebron." Um, and how does Joseph respond? Benjamin's back there. Bring me Benjamin. But. No mention of oh, dad is back there. Dad's still alive. It's been 20 years. Dad is still alive. Bring dad back to me. I want. I want to see dad. Why? This is a question for me. When I first asked the question, I'm like, okay, I don't even know what to make of that. Why does Joseph not go looking for his dad? Um, it, it is the right question, right? Does it feel like an important question. Why doesn't he go looking for his dad? Now, um, the answer to that question I think makes sense of all the weirdness we've been seeing in Joseph. Um, And yet I never thought to ask it before. And here's why I think that's the case. Because as the reader of the story, we know some things that Joseph doesn't know. What does Joseph not know that we know as the reader? So we are given this like uh, 3,000 foot perspective over the whole story. But Joseph doesn't know some details, What story is Joseph most likely telling himself about what happened, about how things played out, that we, the reader, know that that may not be the right story, but it's most likely the story Joseph is telling himself? Um, Now, we don't know for sure what Joseph's thinking. The text doesn't fully tell us, but it does give us clues. And when you start to stitch together the clues... Uh, a theory begins to form. A story begins to form. Now, um, I'll give you my theory for what story I think Joseph is telling himself, but uh, then I want to in, invite you to channel your inner Columbo. <laughs> By the way, if you're ever sitting in front of your Netflix and thinking there's no good TV on Columbo, it's there. Some, it's on one of them. I don't know. It's on, it's on one of them. Um, here's a story I think... Uh, So we're going to channel Leonard Colombo, and we're going to try to put together the clues. And then I'll ask the question, do do you you agree with me? Is my theory correct? Okay. Um, But here's my theory for why he doesn't go looking for dad. uh, I think if you're Joseph, he's thinking, dad, he's the one who's behind all my suffering. Dad, he's the one who conspired to have me killed. Dad is the one who didn't want me. Why would I go looking for dad when dad doesn't go looking for me? Dad is the one who's behind it all. Now, as the readers, we know that's not true. We know it's his brother's idea to throw him in a pit. They then uh, find a goat, kill a goat, dip his coat in blood, bring it back to dad. And dad thinks, oh, no, he's been killed. Dad is actually devastated by the news that Joseph is no longer with him. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Does Joseph know this? I don't think so. Okay, let me lay out the clues. I'll let you decide for yourself. Clue number one. Uh, the moment right before the sale. Do you remember what happens right before the moment Joseph is sold into slavery? You gotta go back a little bit. It's been a couple of probably months now since we've looked at that story. Um, but do you remember the, the details? I think Joseph does. In fact, at my hunch is, the, this moment, like all of those kinds of moments in our lives where things fall apart, my hunch is Joseph has replayed this moment over and over and over again. Uh, Genesis 37 uh, Joseph's a teenager. He's 17 at the time. He's got some dreams. Uh, first dream, he brings to his brothers, You're all going to bow down to me. They get angry. Uh, Then he gives the dream, another dream, and he gives the interpretation. Hey, guys, you're all going to bow down to me. They get angry. And then he brings it to dad. Same dream. And notice how dad responds. This is interesting. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Now, this is the very last interaction, the last interaction that Jacob and Joseph are going to have before Jacob, dad, says to Joseph, you got to go, find your brothers. This is the last interaction is dad is angry with them, and then he sends them off. Pretty solid clue, would you agree? If you're Joseph, how do you piece together what's happening? The last thing that happened to me was I told dad my dream, dad got angry, he sent me off, I was then sold into slavery, dad's behind it. Dad's guilty. This was dad's idea. Dad was just using my brothers to do the the dirty work, but dad's the most guilty. Can you imagine how that might be the story he's telling himself? Is that a decent clue? Okay, here's another clue. Clue number two. Uh, Do you remember where Jacob sends Joseph? Uh, It's a city. We uh, spent 40 minutes looking at just this city last week. We we reached into the soil of history last week, and we grabbed all of these layers of the Bible uh, in a city called Shechem, Shechem is where Abraham first comes into the land. He starts at Shechem. Uh, Later in the story, Joshua, when they the the Israelites enter the Promised Land, he goes to Shechem and he ratifies the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai. He goes to Shechem to do that. Uh, It's at Shechem that Jesus meets a Canaanite woman, or I'm sorry, a Samaritan woman at the well, and has this really brilliant, beautiful discourse with this woman at the well. But did you know that there's another story that happens at Shechem? And this particular story is even more personal to, J- uh, to Joshua, to Joseph. Lots of J's. Uh, Joseph. Uh, and this story actually has to do with Joseph's sister. We talk a lot about Joseph's brothers. Did you know Joseph has a sister? Uh, that, that particular story hap- uh, is told in Genesis 34. Uh, his sister's name is, is Dinah. And um, uh, just name it. It's a really hard story to read. And we didn't read it on a Sunday morning together. Um, It's a really hard story to read. It's a a powerful story. Um, But it's a really hard story to read. Uh, Dinah is raped. And uh, the brothers find out, the other brothers find out, that Dinah has been raped. And they go on a war path to kill and to plunder uh, anyone who they think might even be remotely guilty of doing what they did to, to their sister. That story takes place in Shechem. So the next time we read Shechem is when dad says to Joseph, I need you to go to Shechem to find your brothers. He literally sends, them, sends Joseph off to the killing fields. This is where the killing has happened. I need you to go to the spot where your brothers wreaked their vengeance. Um, now, maybe Joseph doesn't catch it at the time, but imagine the story Joseph is telling himself later. Dad sent me to the... I, Dad sent me to the place where my brothers get vengeance. My brothers got vengeance. Who's the guilty party? Dad. That's clue number two. Clue number three uh, I, for why I, don't think, uh, why I think Joseph doesn't go looking for his dad is because he knows that this is just who his family is. This is what our family does. Uh, this would not be the first story in Genesis where this sort of thing has happened. In fact, Every single generation so far in the book of Genesis has had a son being chosen and another son being sent away and rejected. All the way back. Remember Cain and Abel? Ah, well, uh, Cain kills Abel. But then Cain and Seth, his other brother, Seth is chosen and Cain is sent away. Uh, and then uh, Noah comes in on the scene and Noah has some children. And Ham and Japheth are chosen and Shem... Is sent away. Abraham has kids, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac is chosen, Ishmael is sent away. Uh, Isaac has children, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has been chosen, Esau has been sent away. Every single generation so far has had a story of uh, some son being sent away because of something the father doesn't like about that particular son. This is just what this family does. And you got you to imagine, what story is Joseph telling himself? I'm, I come from a long line of dads who see their sons as disappointments. And when they see their sons as disappointments, they cast us away. And uh, dad got angry with me. He then cast me away to the killing fields of Shechem, where my brothers did what thy brothers did. Um, but dad has to be behind all this clue number three. Uh, Clue number four. Uh, This one is really interesting. Uh, The author of Genesis is really deliberate to tell us certain details and to tell those details in a certain order. Now, we've talked about this pattern before, but we haven't gone all the way to the conclusion. Let's go all the way to the conclusion. Let me put up the details again and take it to a conclusion. Uh, First, uh, notice the the order of Genesis 37. This is the first story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph's given a coat. He's named the number two in the house. He then has dreams. Dad gets angry, sends him away. Then Joseph's brothers strip the coat from him. His brothers throw Joseph in a pit. That's the story of Genesis 37. Shrunk down to four bullet points. Now, that pattern comes up again and again. We've talked about that. But in chapter 40, where Joseph meets Pharaoh, the same pattern comes up again, but it's flipped. In chapter, when, jo- when Joseph meets Pharaoh, Pharaoh pulls him from a pit. Then Pharaoh gives him a coat. Pharaoh dreams. Joseph interprets a dream. And Pharaoh doesn't cast him out. He pulls him in. And then he gives him a second coat. And he names him the number two in Egypt. Same story, but flipped. If, to piece the stories together, you, you see the pattern. You have to imagine, what does Joseph make of this whole thing? It is as though Pharaoh is becoming a second dad to Joseph. A, dare I say, better dad. At least in Joseph's mind, he's a good dad. Um, he's Read the whole story of Genesis. This pharaoh is a kind dad. The later pharaoh will come who's a really abusive and, and throws people in slavery, but this pharaoh seems to really care for Joseph. He does what Jacob doesn't do. He protects. He elevates. He guards. He's got a new dad. Clue number five, my last clue as to why I think Joseph doesn't go looking for dad has to do with what Joseph names his boys. Remember, Joseph creates a life in Egypt. He marries a wife in Egypt, and they have some kids in Egypt. And he names his two boys, and then he gives a reason why he names his boys what he names them. Genesis 41. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household... So he talks about dad, his Jacob, and he says, I'm naming you Manasseh because God has made me forget them. Now that's not actually true. He's naming his son after, he's still carrying that pain in him, but he wants it to be true. And he names his father specifically when he talks about all of my trouble. Second son, he names Ephraim uh, and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. That's a land of my suffering is a reference to Egypt. So the first son, God has caused me to forget my past life. Second son, and God has blessed me. He's made me fruitful here in Egypt. It's as though Joseph is cutting off his past. Dad cut me off. My brothers cut me off. And now I'm going to cut my past. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to run from it. That's a pretty solid clue. Would you agree? Pretty solid clue. Uh, it's like he's got a story. Joseph's got a story he's telling himself, and um, which we, if, if, as the readers, we know the true story. We know the full story, but Joseph doesn't know the full story. And if you, the story Joseph is telling himself, do you agree that, inner Columbus, do you agree? This feels like a pretty air-shot case. Um, Joseph thinks Dad's guilty, Joseph looks at dad and says, Dad cast me off. Dad was behind it all. I don't want to go see dad. Bring Benjamin to me. He's innocent. But I don't want to go see dad. And then Judah launches into a speech. And Joseph, on the back end of the speech, will break down and weep and say, I'm Joseph. And he's a totally different man. What was in the speech? It was a long speech. We rattled through it. What does he learn? A couple things. First, the line, dad loves you, is in that speech. He learns that his dad did not cast him off. He did not sell him. In fact, this whole time, his dad thought he's been killed. And he learns that dad is devastated by what has happened. This is all brand new information for Joseph. He didn't know this before. That's why, jo- that's why dad didn't come to get me? Dad thought I was dead? This whole time I've been harboring this anger, but the whole time he didn't even know I was alive? And Joseph breaks. And Joseph says, for the first time, I'm Joseph. And last clue, if you're still not convinced, notice the first question he asks after revealing who he is. He says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Is he still living? You buy my theory? Uh, It's as though this whole time Joseph's operating on a story that, uh, on an assumption that isn't true. But it is the story he's been telling himself. Based on the evidence and the data he's had to work from, he's created a story. Uh, And he's been repeating this story to himself, so it seems. Even willing to risk his brother Benjamin's life to lie and manipulate and kind of cheat his way to protect good motive. He wants to protect, but he'll do some things that break his values. Um, but it's all because he's been telling himself a story that we now know isn't, and he now knows, isn't true. Uh, throughout, the, throughout life, I think we have these moments. Um, I often think, tend to think of life as like we get these moments like dots on a map. We gather information, right? So something happens to us, and it happens to us, and we record that information. And then something else happens to us, and we remember that, and it's like another dot on the map. Um, But then what we'll often do, because humans, this is what we do, we will find a way to make sense of the moments. And so in order to make sense of the moments, we create a story for why those particular moments happened. It's very natural, Uh, she's angry with you. That's a data point. Um, And then she's angry with you again. And then you find out later that she's not coming home at night. You fill in a story. You create a narrative for why these three things happened. Um, One of my uh, favorite writers, thinkers, human beings in general is a lady named Brene Brown. Uh, Brene, she's on Netflix as well. You can watch Brene. Brene's um, has one of the best TED talks on shame that I've ever heard. If um, we, shame is one of the universal human emotions, so we've all felt shame, and she has some really, really, really great thoughts on shame. But in one of her books, she writes a story or tells a story that uh, I found to be really helpful. I, I don't know if I've shared this with you all here or not, but um, I found it to be helpful, and I've shared it with others in different contexts. Um, but the story essentially is of her and her husband. With their kids on holiday, uh, and they are up at a small cottage on a lake somewhere. So, here's a maybe what it looked like image, I don't know. Um, but she says she was up on, at the cottage with her husband and her kids, and her husband, she and her husband decided to get up early one morning and to go for a swim. And so they're out there for a swim, and they get like 100 yards out, and she is overwhelmed by the beauty of it all, and she's overwhelmed by uh, this is our life. And so she stops, and, uh, and her husband stops. And she says to him, honey, I just got to tell you, I am so grateful to be here. Um, this is just the most perfect day. I have got the most perfect life. I'm just so grateful that I get to share this with you. To which he says, OK, let's go. <laughs> Takes off. So she swims, and she's thinking about what just happened. She's like, that was a weird response for what I just shared with him. So uh, at the turn where they're going to turn and go back, she stops again and she waits and she says to him, he stops and she says, I don't know if you heard me, but um, this is just, I just need you to know, love of my life, uh, this has just been the most perfect day and I am just so grateful that I get to spend this life with you. I am so grateful for you. To which he says, okay, let's go. We got to head back. So he takes off again. And uh, the whole like, distance back, she is thinking in her head, like, what on earth just happened? And then she says, running the scenario through her head, um, does, does he not think I'm attractive? Uh, we were swimmers in college. We met in college. But that was before I was middle-aged. That was before I had some kids. Uh, I don't have the same body I had back in college. Does he not think I'm attractive? Is he disgusted by me? Is that why he's so short with me? Um, wait a minute. He's been gone a lot lately. And isn't there a new woman at work? Doesn't he have a new assistant or a new, like a new employee is he's been gone a lot lately. Is he having an affair? He's having an affair, isn't he? He's having an affair. He's brought me to the cottage to break it all off. How on earth could he do this to me? Like, how could he do this to us? How could he do this to my family? How, how am I going to explain this to the kids? Am I going to get remarried? Like, should I get remarried? I got little kids. Like, how... this whole story she's created in her head. And so she stops at the beach. And she now she's a professional. She's brilliant. And so she's learned some tricks. And she's one of the things she's learned is, I, I got to confront it. OK? I got to confront it. So she stops. And she says to her husband, uh, hey, can we just talk real quickly? And he's like, yeah, of course. And she said, so out in the water, uh, twice, I tried to tell you, I tried to connect with you, and I tried to tell you that this is a really great day, and I'm really grateful for you. And twice, out in the water, it felt like you blew me off, and it felt like, like you didn't, weren't receptive to it. And then she said this, and this is, this is so good. I use, I use this language all the time. She said, based on what happened, The story I'm telling myself is this, 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 this. Now I know it's not true. I just don't know where or how it's not true. Help me understand. To which he said, we got in the water and... uh, few laps into the water, I realized I forgot to lock the cottage, and I was having a panic attack because our kids were in the cottage, and I was just having this image of them walking into the water and drowning, and I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to make, I didn't want you to get angry. I didn't want to freak you out in the water, but I also didn't want you to get angry because I forgot to lock the door to the house, and so this whole time, I'm in the water, and I am panicking. (laughs) They're both telling themselves a story, uh, and the truth lies somewhere. It's, but often, the, the stories we tell ourselves are fiction. They're fiction. Um, both were telling a story. Neither of those stories were true. Um, but often, we create these narratives. If you're like me, if you're like most people, we create the narratives to make sense of the moments in our life. Uh, I wonder how many of us are finding ourselves stuck in something, because we've we've believed an assumption that we've never actually tested to see if the assumption is true. Uh, we do this all the time. When I was a young pastor, there was a guy in church who. It was, a, it was like a two-section church, it wasn't like this. But he, if it was like this, he sat there, okay? So somewhere right in here. And uh, this guy, every single week, um, I, I, not every week, but most weeks, I would see him in the seats, and he would just begin doing the I'm falling asleep head bob thing, you know, where it's like your head falls and you just wake up really fast, and then it's just done, you go again. Um, and so he would do this every week. And I remember, I'm like 26 at the time, uh, I'm new at this, and I just remember thinking... Okay, here's the secret. Most of us pastors are pretty insecure. Okay, so I remember seeing this happen, and the whole time I'm thinking, like I'm talking, I'm preaching, but in my, my, there's another part of me that's watching me, and it's thinking this whole time, like, you are so boring. You're so bad at this. Like, you, you somehow found a way to take the most compelling story. Like, the Bible is the number one bestseller, period. And you found a way to take the most compelling story that... On its own is a compelling story, but it also holds the message of salvation, and you made him fall asleep with it, and I just remember thinking, I'm just really bad at this, and uh, I, got to, I didn't actually confront it. I wish I would have just said something to him, because it would have made it a lot easier, quicker, um, but I got to know this gentleman, and I found out later that uh, this gentleman was a volunteer EMT worker. And he often would volunteer his weekends. And often on Saturday night at midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, he would get a call and he would go and he would spend some time helping people stay alive. And he would show up on Sunday mornings because he had young kids and he wanted to make sure he was modeling something for his family even though he could barely keep his eyes open. (laughs) We tell ourselves these stories and sometimes they're just plain fiction. Um, I think it happens all the time. I found this funny. Uh, are we going out tonight? I knew it. You don't want to stay home with me. You're bored with, with our marriage, <laughs> and you wish I was blonde. Why don't you admit you never loved me at all? We tell ourselves these stories all the time. I think it happens in marriage. I think it happens in friendships. Um, I think it happens with coworkers and classmates. Uh, I think it's, there's this reason that that Jesus refers to Satan as the father of lies. Uh, these kinds of lies get us stuck, and Satan loves for us to, to lock in on these lies. They, get us, they keep us from forgiving other people, it keeps us stuck in addiction. Uh, these things get us stuck. Uh, but the good news is we can change. We can change. Uh, my gift to you this morning is that simple phrase that I have found so powerful. I use it. Um, I, I've used it in our marriage. We now use it in our marriage. Uh, I've used this with, with employees, coworkers. Uh, I use it with friendships. Um, when something happens and I just don't, don't know what to do with it, this is, the, this is the language. The story I'm telling myself, share whatever's comfortable sharing. Here's the story I'm telling myself. I know it's not true, but I don't know Where or how it's not true. So, based on what's happened, here's the story I'm telling myself. I don't know, I know it's not true, it can't be true. I just don't know where or how it's not true. Help me understand. What you may find is that that simple language, um, there may be a deeper truth. And uh, as Jesus says, the truth will set us free. And in those areas of our life where we're finding ourselves stuck, the story I'm telling myself is this, based on this experience and this one and this one. I know there's a lot I don't know. I just don't know what I don't know. Help me understand. Lord, we, um, we thank you for those moments in our life where uh, we discover the truth and the truth is good. And Lord, we, um, we pray for more of those moments. Lord, for those who right now find themselves stuck in a marriage that is just not uh, it's not It's not doing it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring transparency and honesty. Uh, Lord, for those of us who uh, there is some relationship in our life where we don't talk anymore and we've worked up a story based on our experiences, but we're not confident uh, that we know all the details. Uh, Lord, would you help confront the lies? Uh, Lord, for those of us who are simply telling a story about ourselves based on something we've experienced. Uh, Lord, we pray that you, like, like the Holy Spirit did to Joseph, Lord, would you open us up, break us open, and remind us of who we are and whose we are. Uh, Jesus,
0: we love you, and we pray this in your name. And everybody said. Once again, we just like to say thanks for listening. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at nine, you can see our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.